Hello and welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Michelin Sisti, who was the uh, the body actor of Michelangelo in the first two Ninja Turtles films. I love you doing hi, Brian. <laughs> that was fine. We messed it up the first time, so that's fine. <laughs> um, so I, I guess, you know, body actor, the way to put it for it for the turtle suit, I, I, it's hard to describe. Use that phrase. It's a little arcane at this point, but it just uh, basically just act. We all share the same character. Oh, gotcha. I apologize. For distinguishing purposes, that's perfectly fine. Cool. So he was the guy in Michelangelo for the majority of the movie, except for the stunt scenes for the most part. Is that correct? Uh, actually, that's partially correct. We were allowed to do a certain amount of the action, depending on, well, in the first movie, the benchmark was anything that I dabbled the animatronic heads. However, we got to do more and more stuff in the first film, and by the time we did the second film, they were much more relaxed about that idea. So we got to do quite a bit, actually, more so in the second film. But anything, anything with dialogue, when an animatronic we were doing, and we would do the connective tissue, the shots that led up to the, the major stunt. The major martial arts move, of course, were the stunt guys from China. And finally got some air from inside the suit. The air was a very, very rare commodity for us. <laughs> <laughs> I guess before we get too deep into the turtles, I wanted to ask how you got started out in acting and what, what lured you to it? Uh, well, I was a I was just a hare as a kid. I was an army brat, so I was raised uh, all over the world. And you got into this, this routine of... of Fitting in as soon as we arrived in a new destination. And by doing that, you didn't want to be kind of a comedic pride. So that got me into a performance mode for my friends, and that just carried over. I, I used to do shows in my backyard for my friends. And then uh, we was, it was about uh, high school time, I got really interested in about the bug. And got very lucky and got into the profession, into the uh, actors' union. That took me to New York. I was a Broadway actor for 20 years, and then that led me to be a turtle. Yeah, I, I know you did some body, uh, some suit, uh, some experience in suits before um, Turtles. If you can take us a little bit through that, I would love to hear it. Sure, yeah, that was uh, all in the theatrical context, on the stage. Uh, and that's why I got the audition to become a turtle, actually. I had done a couple of shows in suits. I was a panda character in um, Raggedy Ann. Uh, in, when, we did, when I did Peter Pan, I did one stint in the crocodile suit. Uh, <laughs> I had done a couple of other shows where I did similar kind of things. Oh, and, and when I was doing Cabaret with Joe Gray, remember the show where he dances with the gorilla. Well, I was the actor in the gorilla suit. And that led to them calling me in to audition for Steve Barron, and that led to the turtle. Were any of those suits as miserable as the turtle suits? Oh, God, no. I mean, there were some. There were some that were bad. There were some that were bad. Uh, some better than others, but nothing compared to a turtle suit. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you, how did, how, what was the audition like? Like, how did you... Did you have to wear something during the audition? It was uh, initially for uh, the, um, the casting director, Lynn Pressel, and she liked me. She sent me down the hall the same day to read for Steam. It was in another office. 
He, uh, he liked what I did with that. He gave me a side to take home with me that night and come up with my own version of Ninja Fight choreography. Yeah, they were all actually all sides, by the way. I came back the next day and we lived in an, uh, an office that was even smaller than my tiny apartment. And so when I got to the end of my presentation in the, in the side in the scene, uh, I wanted to end it big, so I came up with what was my version at that time of a roundhouse kick, and I put my foot through the wall. So um, yeah, I went for at that point, well, I'll forget this job, I'm not going to do this one. And he, he laughed, thank God he laughed, and uh, basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that anyone who do that deserves to be one of my turtles. That's awesome. I spoke, to him I spoke to him about a year ago, and he was a really sweet guy. He was nice to talk to. And he changed my life. Uh, how do you mean? Well, by casting me as Michelangelo, that changed the direction of my life totally. I was going to stay in New York for the rest of my career. I was happy as a clam there. I've done my Broadway shows. I, I had no other desire but to do that. That had been my dream. And he changed it all. I'm making a turtle. He introduced me to Jim. Jim introduced me to the whole Henson organization that became 30 years of, uh, of a family and a career. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. Let me ask you that audition. Were you in any sort of a suit? Uh, I just, uh, just bring your street clothes. Oh, cool. Okay. Now, can you describe a little bit for those who don't already know what it was like? So I took like, what, three people to operate one suit? Like, what was it like? So you were inside the suit, but what else was going on? Two people to actually operate the character, and the third person, of course, in my case, is Robbie Rist, who did the voice. Uh, so it's three people to create the character, two people to actually do the, the, the performance in, uh, in, in camera. Um, and my, my dear, dear friend and one of the best people and puppeteers in the world, Matt Wilson, was my puppeteer. So he and I created the character you saw on screen, and Robbie created the voice for that character. Now, did Robbie just dub your lines, basically? Or is there more truth than that? Um, we recorded on set. Uh, of course, if you heard the, the scratch track from that, you, you would hear a British accent from Michelangelo. It's Mac as a Brit. So it, it might be a little jarring at first, but yeah, we recorded the scene as we did it. So you had all of the emotional tension in the, in Max point. I was saying the words inside the head for my purposes, and then Robbie took the impetus of that scratch track and made it his own. Oh, so you two were both saying the lines in sync, and then Robbie took that and. I probably wouldn't hear my voice because they weren't miking me because of all the motors in the head. Got so it. They, they might laugh as soon as they were the, the lines, but I was saying the line right along with him. That was that was part of how we synchronized our performance. Now I'm curious how did how did Josh Josh Pais and maybe I'm saying that wrong. How did he end up being the voice as well? Oh, sorry. How, how did Josh Pais end up being the voice for Raph as well if he was also in the bodysuit like you? All given an opportunity to audition, quote unquote, for the voice uh, during the, the shooting of the first show. I think it was the, the first, uh, the second month we were there. Uh, and in my case, they said that my voice was too old, 
and, uh, and Josh had the end, really, because not only had he uh, a voice with a yogurt quality, neither me for myself, or certainly Dave had the accent, but he wasn't a good day for me. Um, but he also had a really well-honed New York accent, and that's what they really liked for Raphael, too. So he, and I'm really glad we, we, we all wanted to voice our characters, but uh, he had the best chance. Oh, I see. And so he must have redubbed it later. Got it. Okay, All those voices were ADR. I mean, they must be. I'm sure these, the, the scratch track sounds miserable. <laughs> so I'm curious what uh, what the set was like. Like, was it? I mean, I know it was no fun for the guys in the suit, but was it? Uh, was there any joy to it at all when you guys had the costumes off? Like, what was the vibe like? The joy of shooting in North Carolina in the summer in a rubber suit is not being the suit. So the time on the beach, <laughs> the time on Wrightsville Beach was wonderful. The time in the suit was never. <laughs> Got it. So, I mean, like, you, I, I know that, um, I think I've read that the suit weighed anywhere from 50 to 70 pounds. Is that right? Yeah, when you put it on, it weighed about 50, 55 pounds altogether, taking into account the weight of the head as well. But by the time you were working 20 minutes or so, you had sweated enough to add 15 to 20 pounds of water. Boy. Now, it may be exaggerating the, the, the span there. It might have been close to like 60 pounds that got to standing. But basically, we were up and around with about 70 pounds. But I mean, that's made of foam rubber. That's like a big sponge, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. We used to gross out our dressers one day. We'd, cut. we'd put her out into our dressers. Squeeze our hands, and rivers of sweat would pour out of our costume out of our hands, and we would just scream and run away. I hate to ask this, but what did it smell like in there? The, the, the creature shop, God bless them, these people, not only were they repairing all the damages to our many suits every night, but they were also spraying them down. They, they used a, a number of different uh, formulas. At, at times, they used Febreze. But one of the things they used most often, actually, was vodka. Vodka. They would spray vodka into the suits that had been worn that day uh, when they would go into the drying room, and the vodka would kill anything that might be trying to grow in them. And that would keep them fresh. And, of course, as they would repair them, they would also check, check out for any problems, problems of that nature. Oh, wow. Okay. How many different Mikeys were there? Like, bodies? The hero suit for us, the four of us, we had 11, I think, maybe maybe 12 suits. Each? The front guys, yeah, each. Wow. Well, we went through suits. I mean, every, every time we were doing anything about suits, you would tear them up. You're running in the street, and if you happen to bump into something, you could tear a big chunk out of the phone in your, in your arm. Yeah, they were, they were sturdy enough to look great, but they got damaged. <laughs> got it. Uh, yeah, what were we saying before that? Oh, sorry. That's all right. Go ahead. Um, oh, sorry. So you were also saying that the, like, the suits were, were so soaked. In, in the movie, they always end up looking a little bit wet. Was that from the sweat, or was that were they sprayed to look moist? They would spray us down before it would show. Gotcha. We were reptiles. We had to be a little moist. I figured. <laughs> um, do you have any cool memories of Jim Henson? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, yeah. Many. Just, I mean, the, the basic thing was that when you were in his presence, and he was always very gracious, 
you felt like you were a somebody special. It made you feel that way. That's very cool. I've heard that from a few people who through this podcast because. I mean, as much as I'm a Turtle fan, I, I'm almost just as much a Muppet fan and a fan of his. So any stories about Jim Henson, I've heard that universally, that he just focused his attention and made everybody feel special. And, and of course, he, he, he was the second person in my life because he hired me to be Michelangelo, but it was Jim who approached me about doing dinosaurs and got, got me out of New York and out to L.A. Oh, yes, you were... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Charlene on Dinosaurs, right? Among other things, that was my uh, main character in the family, uh, Charlene the daughter. You know, let me ask you, when you were, were they, when they were repairing all the suits, did they also have to repaint them constantly? Was that another thing? Yeah, they would do a process called stumbling to repair them, which is basically liquid foam latex that they would slather over and repair and then pressurize skin texture the uh the repair and they would dry and of course that dry so very bright kind of yellow white yellow color so they had to repair it fine. you know what was your visibility like because i mean like I, I, like precise stuff like with you on the telephone like was little movements like that hard to navigate like how blind were you extremely we worked very 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 and i mean very hard to do that yeah, we had two ways of seeing when we had the head on. In front of us, uh, if you look at the head, right below the bandana, below the eyeball of the, of the head, there was a little tiny split about the size of a pencil eraser. That's, we could see out of those. And then when the mouth was open doing dialogue, you could see out sort of 45 degrees out in front of you to, towards the ground so that was the only thing we could see so what we would do was we would rehearse the scene we would choreograph the scene quickly if there was any fight movements involved we would choreograph the scene with the heads off so we knew what we were doing and see our relationship to the environment around us with set pieces and then once we had that in our heads then we would put the head on and shoot it Basically, we saw it before we did it because when we did it, we saw very little. Gotcha. Boy. A lot of muscle memory and sense memory is involved in doing that. I mean, are there takes somewhere of you guys just running into walls and bumping into things? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I'm sure. We did fall off of platforms. Yeah, we've, we've done many things that would never, never, never be seen by the rest of the world. <laughs> Um, you know, there's also, and I'm curious about this, there's this, in the, uh, it appears this way in the movie, in the set, there seemed to be this giant hole in the middle of the set with water, and it looked, I guess they did it to make it look like a sewer, but I, I, at some point it occurred to me, like, did you guys ever risk falling into this thing? I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Are you talking about the second movie? No, the first, but maybe maybe there's something like that in the second as well, I don't know. In the, in the second movie, that's what I thought you might be talking about. Uh, a, a giant hole. Um, now, the sewer sets, which were just gorgeous, they uh, were huge. I mean, the, everything that you saw, we were in a, a set that was actually built that we could do that in, and it looked exactly like that. It also smelled with the sewer after a while. But <laughs> it, was, it was so well done that you, I mean, the, the verisimilitude of that set was brilliant. Well, like you say, you thought we were in the sewer. 
Oh yeah, it's very, and I know it was that was in North Carolina, right? Yeah, it, it was the uh, at that time with Carol Co Studios. It's something else now. Did you do any filming in New York? Uh, we did a couple of, sh- of little pieces. Josh did a, a couple of pieces at Raphael. Sure. Uh, and and we did a little short piece. I forget what it was now. Yeah, but, uh, but he did most of the any shooting that we've done in New York. He did most of them. Yeah, we did some things in Times Square. I remember that. Oh, cool. Um. You know, there's this thing in the movie, um, or at least not in the movie, actually. It was the deleted scenes. It seemed to show Michelangelo kind of, um, I don't know, he's at a punching bag in the farm, and it seems like he was realizing things more than maybe was letting on in the final version. I'm curious if you have any memories of those, because it seems like they were going for more with Mikey that didn't quite make it to screen. That was time consideration. Excuse me, time consideration. But yeah, um, there was a lovely scene where I was working out my frustrations on the on the bag. It wasn't a bag; it was a bag substitute that they had hung in a barn. And there was this little farmhouse in North Carolina. North Carolina. In fact, that that location, after we had done that sequence where I was yelling and screaming and punching the whatever was hanging there, they also had, had there's a shot. Um, in the movie that's meant to be Raphael, and they, they put me in Raphael and put me on top of the barn on the roof. There's one little sequence where Raph is standing on top of the barn and not yelling splinters in the movie. Oh, Something yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. And that was me. Too. They put me up on the roof, they, they tied me my feet down, they put a tether coming up to the, behind me. I was kind of anchored in by wires. <laughs> And I just had to scream at the sky. Oh, I always thought that was the Mikey suit, and they redubbed it later. I didn't realize that was the Raph suit. Well, they were meant to make it look like the Raph suit. If they didn't, that wasn't me. <laughs> it must be terrifying to be blind and 30 feet in the air on the roof. Yeah, it was cool, too. It was at night. It was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, going from the first film to the second, were there any, like, would you describe the vibe on set any differently for the second movie? Not as far as us and the crew. No, that was all the same. What was different, of course, was there was a different there was a different context and approach to to the filming of the show. The script was that much different. But as far as the people that we worked worked with, I mean, most of them were the same crew we had done the first one with. I know the tone was lighter for the movie, but I wasn't sure if that had affected how. Because the first movie is very dark, but I'm sure that doesn't always translate to how it is behind the scenes. So, well, I mean, in the scene, it can because you're carrying that through with your characters. But as far as the ambiance of the set, no, that's that's pretty much the family. You gotta be a family, family to do these things. Was that second suit any better? The the for the second movie? They had made improvements. They had finally made it possible for when you were off camera to take off the head and put it down because in the first movie. All of the attachments were bicycle cables, bicycle brake cables. We had a whole bundle of them coming up from the motors in the shell to the head. So we took the head, head off it when it got cut. We never put it down. It was, you had to hold it on your shoulder. Your, your dresser would hold it. I mean, you couldn't get away from it. So they had figured out between the first and second show how to do that electronically. Put all the motor, all tiny motors in the head take the bicycle, bicycle cables out of it. The only thing we had was an electronic cable, a 
a very thick electronic cable that was coupled with it so that they could do one of those twist couplings and remove it so you could take the head off and put it down. Okay, so it was more just centralized in the head. So was the head a hell of a lot heavier? It was a bit heavier, but the head, the, the first one was heavy too because it didn't have all those little motors in there, but it had the mechanism that the cables were driving. Oh, I see. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't much better, I guess. <laughs> the, the, I would say between the first and the second, they probably trimmed about 10 pounds overall off of it. Okay. I mean, in the scenes where you guys are in close-ups, are you able to like, were you able to take the lower halves off or anything, or was it a package deal all the time? It was mostly a package deal. There was one or two rare occasions, like when I can't even think of a time. No, I think it was all a package deal. Whenever we were a turtle, we had to be a complete turtle. Oh, you could do hands and feet shots, yeah, without the whole But anything that involved dialogue or sort of facial expression. It had to be the whole bunch of bananas. Oh, sure. Uh, I know you have a great story about um, uh, being thrown as Michelangelo when he's fighting. I would love to hear this. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was in the second movie. There's a sequence where we're, we're fighting Toka and Razor when, when we first meet them. And there's a sequence where... In the midst of the fight, I think it's Razor picks picks me up by the hands and swings me around and throws me. I fly off and crash into a wall, and I get up stupid. Um, well, when we shot it, the way we got it, they, they had one shot that was Razor's POV. So it's it's camera is him looking at me as he's holding both of my arms and swinging me around in a big circle. So to do that, they had set up a rig that was me on one, it was like a helicopter blade on top of a helicopter. It was me on one side, and on the other side was a counterweight to balance it. And in the middle, where the fulcrum was, where it would all rotate, was the camera. And the camera was mounted looking at me. And I was extending my hands below frame. See that I was not actually holding Razor's hands, but it looked I was like I was being held by him. And then they would swing me around, and they would get that shot of, of looking at me and in the background whizzing by the big circle in the back. So we did that, and the way they had attacked me was that there was a on my side of me with a helicopter blade. There was a little tray that laid down in, on my stomach, and then they strapped. They had this big belt, like a seatbelt. They had a big seatbelt that went around me all, all the way around the ship. And that's how they attached me to it. And I was holding on to something that represented what I was holding on to, Razor's hands. So that was the only attachments. As we got going, they got more comfortable with the speed, and they got faster. And after about the fifth take, <laughs> they got going real fast, and the seatbelt broke. The turbo shell broke, the belt broke, and I flew off about 20, 25 feet, and tumble, 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 and I was like deep in the corner, and everybody running towards me, and half of the people running towards me are going, oh, oh is the beach okay? The other half are going, is the head okay? Is the head okay? <laughs> so I told you where the priorities were. <laughs> That's great. Is that the take we see on screen? 
That's amazing. <laughs> Does it seem worth it now or still no? <laughs> Oh yes, I know the talk I know what you're talking about. That sort of like day yeah, I know exactly the take you're talking about. Yeah, that was it. So it was worth it in the end. <laughs> Do you have any memories of uh choreographing to uh ninja rap? Ah, yes, I love that. Of course, that was right up my alley. I was a song and dance man for my Broadway career, so I was in pay heaven when I was doing that shot. That shot. Yeah, we had uh, we were really, really, really hard on that because the other guys weren't dancers, so, so they they were really busting their buttons to get that one together. But yeah, I had a fun. In fact, in the um, in the uh, documentary, uh, was it behind the show? Something like that. There's a documentary about uh, the turtles that when we were shooting, and uh, they have a little secret rehearsing on on stage, not in our suit. We're like half dressed, like we have the lower half of the suit on, and so you can see us there dancing, doing the choreographed movements. And there's a short clip in, it, in that documentary. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I, I didn't know that one. That's great. Yeah, no, we worked very, very hard on that. Um, do you have any stories about uh, Toshishiro Obata, the guy who played, um, uh, oh boy, um, Tatsu in the movie? <laughs> Sorry. Well, the memory of my primary memory of him is just being very, very quiet and, and uh, respectful when I was in his presence. He, he didn't speak English or hardly at all, so there wasn't any conversation communication but we would exchange glances and nods which is pretty much as far as that was going to go but he was a he seemed he seemed a very very nice fellow and my god he was intimidating on screen <laughs> he's great in those movies he really is he's one of like the central faces that like hold him together he's great of course when he, when he does ninja that's one of my favorite ones that's great <laughs> so when's the last i mean may i ask when's the last time you've watched either of the movies Let's see. Yeah, I've watched. I've watched number one at least a couple of times a year. Uh, once, usually, I'm, I'm showing it to somebody who hasn't seen it, and I definitely watch it at, for my own enjoyment at least once a year. Uh, two, I watch on occasion. One, one I have a, a closer affinity with because because it carries the ambiance of what Peter and Kevin created more. Therefore, I have a, a nicer feeling about it, so I don't want to see it more often. Are you able to just uh, enjoy the movie, or are you just remembering what it was like inside there? That's a good one. Um, <laughs> we try to enjoy the movie. <laughs> sure. But then you're just inevitably there are moments when you go, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> you have an associated memory that kind of takes you away from the film for a moment. But yeah, yeah, like we try. Sure. You know, I'm curious. So you were Mikey on the first and second film. Did you have any thoughts about what came after, like the third movie or, God forbid, the uh, the coming out of their shells tour? Because those suits were not quite the creature shop. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. You made me laugh. I had a couple of those guys. Um, the third one, it was, it was, it was a, well, it's not a sore spot. I, it kind of hurt us all. What had happened was um, 
we were Leaf and I were already shooting dinosaurs, and Brian Brian Hansen came to us and said um, that he wanted to put a package deal together in negotiating with Golden Harvest for Turtles Three, and he wanted to include Leaf and myself in the package deal. I said, "Sure, so did he." Uh, so he made his presentation and, and did his package pitch, and then and come to find out that through some somewhat shady machinations, um, people purloined the technology that Henson had created and made their own version of it, and then they bid on the show and underbid Brian's bid by half. So Golden Harvest, being a frugal company, decided to go with that entity rather than, than us. So we lost out on the show, and it was kind of I'm kicking the pants for for Leaf and Brian and myself in particular because we really were looking forward to going in and, and doing the third one. Um, and I will just say that many people have said to me their opinion, not necessarily mine, that the third film suffered because we weren't there. Oh yeah, I mean, and and not their opinions. I mean, I could say it's damn near fact that that's. <laughs> it, it doesn't measure up for the creature shop. I mean, the 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 product is less. It just it just it was, it hurt my heart when the first time I saw it. It took me a long time to actually see it. I, it was years and years after people had told me about it, but I wouldn't see it, and then I finally did. And I went, Ooh, gosh, no, there was no comparison whatsoever. And the necklines are far more noticeable. Like the technique is just not there. The the I I, I don't. I, I first saw it when I was six, so I still have some nostalgia attached to it. But as I can see, like, good lord, there's so many things that just dropped way off as far as the quality of those suits goes. Well, that's what you get when you pay half. <laughs> you get what you pay for, sure. <laughs> Did you have you ever had any thoughts or feelings about the um, coming out of their shells? Those terrible suits. No, because I, I just I empathize and suffer for all the guys that were in them. <laughs> um, you know, they had nothing to do with the, the design sure. and, the, and the concept. I gave them full marks for just having the balls and the, and the talent to get up and do it. True, and they're just lovably terrible. Like, those suits are so bad that they're almost enjoyably so. <laughs> so they have provided entertainment for a fashion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'd like to talk about your cameos, too. So in the first movie, you were the, the guy delivering the pizza, uh, yeah, in the second movie, you were uh, the guy who runs into April with, with Susie Essman. I'm curious if you have any memories of your cameos. You know Susie? No, but I know from Curvy Enthusiasm, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I watched the movie recently and was yeah, excited to see her. Um, she was Michael's cousin, I think. Cousin? I think it was Michael Preston, the director of the second film. Um, yeah, in the first film, the, um, that was a that gift to me by from Steve. He basically was, he was a thank you. It was, uh, he, he appreciated some of the things that I had been doing. And as a thank you, I got, I got the, the part. I think, I think maybe uh, Jim or Brian or somebody might have had a hand in that as well. That's how I got to the And I love, it was fun. It was very, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I had a line, I, 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 and stick myself on the bill. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. And when we 
Uh, and Joshua did to do a little cameo on the first one too in the backseat of a cab in New York. Yeah. We had a quick shot. And then uh, the other thing is, to when it take Kate Pine for the second movie, Michael came to, to us very early in the rehearsal period and said, uh, by the way, you're, you're all going to get a cameo. <laughs> oh, cool. Nobody's nose could get bent on a shape. <laughs> Yeah, I re- rewatched the second one recently, and I was like, and I'm a huge fan of Kirby Enthusiasm, and I saw Susie Esmond. I was like, oh my god, it's Susie Esmond. I was so surprised. Yeah, that one was fun. I mean, they, they dressed me in, in what somebody's concept of a hip lower east side villain's person would wear. It was really strange. But Susie and I laughed a lot about it. You know, I, think, I, think she, I think she was Michael's cousin. I think that's what it was. But uh, yeah, we had a good time with that one. Oh, it's like a velvety jacket, isn't it? Yeah, it's a weird, it was very, it was very modernistic in its design. In fact, I don't know, it just looked weird on me. <laughs> <But> <laughs> even when I see that, that scene in the movie now, I just go, what the, whose idea was that? <laughs> that scene of yours in the first one, that's like, maybe Mikey's most iconic scene, just in general, from... Pizza Dude's got 30 seconds until your delivery. It's the whole scene. It's great. True. Everybody, well, not everybody, but 90% of the fans that come up to me know that verbatim. Oh, yeah. That's like, like I said, that's probably Mikey's best moment in the movie. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, Thank you, and Tony thanks you as well. <laughs> Do you have any memories from, uh, from Dinosaurs? I'm curious. Oh, many, many. Yeah, we did four seasons. There was a lot of living in it. In that show, um, and lifelong friends too. I'm, I'm still working and friends with the people from that, that period. Um, it was a lovely, special, wonderful, magical time that will never ever be repeated. Hmm. Yeah, it was a very unique show. It's very uh, I have fond memories of it growing up, and I bought the DVDs later. It's really great, worth revisiting for those who haven't seen. I'm very very proud of that show. Absolutely. Then you're still with the Creature Shop. After a fashion, uh, I'm doing most of what I've been doing, uh, particularly in the last four or five years, is connected to Muppets. But uh, I still do an odd gig with Lord Hanson still, and that gets me back to in, in touch with the Creature Shop. Oh, very cool. You know, that, that covers what I mostly want to ask you. I always ask everybody what their favorite turtle is, but for you, I'm guessing it has to be Michelangelo. <laughs> so I guess I'll ask you a different one. Um, Pineapple on pizza, do you approve, yes or no? In certain extremely narrow circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a very narrow thumbs up. I got it. <laughs> you know, Michelin, it was really a huge pleasure talking to you. I, I super appreciate this. Thank you so much. You take care. Bye-bye. Go, 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 go